Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 17? We're going to pick it up in verse 11. This morning, John chapter 17. Lord, we give you our attention now. We put all our focus on your word. Your words are indeed life. Life to our souls, nourishment to our souls. Lord, I thank you. You've given given us your word, and I pray that you would use it in a mighty way in our lives this morning. Help us to understand it and apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 17 records the longest public prayer of Jesus Christ. And it happens to be the last prayer that Jesus prayed right before being arrested and going to the cross and facing all of that pain and suffering. So you would think facing something like that, Jesus in this prayer would pray only for himself. And he does pray for himself in this prayer, but in a very unselfish way as we studied last time together. He prayed that God would be glorified in what he was about to go through. But by far, he spends most of the time in this prayer praying for others. Praying for kingdom people, praying for his people. And we come to this beautiful section in the prayer this morning where he prays for his disciples. Those guys that he spent so much time with. Peter, James, and John, and the like. Look what's in his heart. Notice how he prays for them. Look at verse 11. Jesus praying to the Father. Now I am no longer in the world. But these are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you've gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I want you to sort of track the progress in this section of the prayer. Jesus prays to the Father, Father, I have been in this world. I have lived in this world. I have spent time 
with these disciples that you've given to me. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Verse 14, I have given them your word. I've spent time with these guys. And that's a wonderful thing. When you study the life of Jesus, you recognize that he spent 33 and a half years on this planet. Most of the time living in obscurity, working as a carpenter at Nazareth. But during his public ministry, he went out. And he invested primarily in the lives of these 12 men. He spent time with, can you imagine being able to walk with Jesus during those three and a half years? And having him train you and teach you and be with you? Jesus says, Father, I've been with these guys. I've trained them. I love them. But then he goes on to pray, but now, Father, I'm leaving the world. I'm going to you. I'm going home. And certainly Jesus would leave the world right after this prayer. He'd be arrested. He'd eventually be crucified, buried. On the third day, he would rise again. And he would show himself to the disciples during 40 days after that. But eventually, he ascended where he is today, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus is no longer in the world in the sense that he's not bodily with us. But here, as he sees that about to take place, he knows that the disciples will remain behind. They'll be left in the world. And his heart is for them. And so in this section, he's praying for his disciples left in the world. And I want you to notice verse 15. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Father, don't take them out of the world. I'm coming out of the world, but leave them here. I have a plan for them. Father, you have a plan for them. And in fact, in verse 18, Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. In other words, there's a big plan for those guys. That word sent is where we get our word apostle. Those who have been sent out on a mission. And those disciples are to remain behind in the world because they have an important mission. To carry out, they've been sent. And what was their mission? To reach their generation with the good news of Jesus Christ. To be witnesses for Jesus. To shine for Jesus Christ. And what an adventure those guys went through as you read the Acts and the early history of the church. All those disciples. When Jesus died on the cross, they were shell-shocked. They didn't see that coming. And then when Jesus rose again from the dead the third day later, again they were shell-shocked. They didn't see that coming. But then Jesus appeared to them and Jesus commissioned them. Jesus said, I have big plans for you and I want you to go wait in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. 
Then Jesus ascended. And they went to Jerusalem and they waited in that upper room. And the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them and the church was born. And these normal, everyday, frail, flawed men and women went out and changed the world for Jesus Christ. They preached. They witnessed. God used them. The church exploded in that early part of church history. They experienced all kinds of hard times, but God used them. And I will tell you, the mission in every generation of the church is still the same. To change this world with the life-changing message of the gospel of faith, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the task of every generation. In every generation, men and women are called to become Christians. That is, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. But then go beyond, become disciples. Close, tight, followers and learners of Jesus Christ. And then to share Christ with their generation. And that's what God has called us to do. We are now God's generation on the planet. If you're a Christian, you are called to become a disciple. And you're to join with your brothers and sisters in Christ in reaching this world. Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples right before he left. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, that was a commission to the first disciples. It still holds true today. Jesus did tell those disciples in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That was given to the original disciples. It's also given to the disciples today. We are called to be witnesses. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that we're to be the salt of the earth. We're to be the light in a dark world. That was given to the early disciples and they did it. They shined. They impacted their world. And now it's our task. The baton has been passed from generation to generation to generation. And now we have the baton. My brother and sister in Christ, please understand. You're not alive on planet Earth to live the American dream. To make as much money as you possibly can. Even to have a beautiful family with children and grandchildren. Though that's important, but that's not why you're here. You're here to shine for Jesus Christ. You're here to be a witness for Jesus Christ. As long as you breathe air in the world. That's your task. And Jesus is praying for his disciples and he's praying for them. 
because he knows that they're going to experience difficult times. Notice he says in verse 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world. In verse 15, he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They would face all kinds of obstacles. The world would hate them because they're not of the world. The devil is alive and well and would persecute those disciples. But Jesus is praying for them. The flow of this prayer is, Father, my people, your people are left in this world. They have a mission to carry out. There will be tremendous opposition. Make them successful. Strengthen them. And so too, in every generation in church history, God's people have faced opposition. There's a hatred of God's people by the worldly system. Satan constantly trying to attack the church to keep it from being effective. You know, the Bible says that in the last days, good will be called evil and evil will be called good. And we're actually living in those days right now. We are living in days where wicked people occupy the moral high ground. Telling Christians how they should behave. It's reversed. We used to be in a country that embraced the Bible, the ethics of Christianity. Now we live in a culture that hates it and hates you. And it's only going to get worse. The world has always been dark. It's getting darker by the moment. And we're to shine. We're to stand true. Dr. A.B. Simpson used to pray this prayer for his church often. He would say, press on our heart the woe. And put in our feet the go. I love that. Theodore Williams suffered greatly in India as a missionary. But he said, we face a humanity that is too precious to neglect. We know a remedy for the ills of the world too wonderful to withhold. We have a Christ too glorious to hide. We have an adventure that is too thrilling to miss. And so here we are. In the world. To make a difference. Just like every generation before us. Now you notice also in this prayer that Jesus is praying that his disciples would be able to navigate living in the world. As his people. And you will see, as Christians face it, we find ourselves in a real awkward position. We're in a peculiar place as God's people. Because Jesus says in verse 16, they are not of the world. Just as I'm not of the world. God's people are not of this world. Not even close. 
And yet in verse 15, Jesus says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. And in fact, in verse 18, he says, I've sent them into the world. So that's this odd thing. You and I are to be engaged in this world. Yet not of the world. We are called to live an otherworldly life right here in this world. And it's hard to find that balance. You know, a lot of extremes, there's a couple of extremes that the church has bought over the last 2,000 years. There was a time where many Christian groups in church history thought that the best thing for them to do would be to remove themselves from the secular world system. And so there's a long period of time in church history where monasteries were built and monks left the world and they went and camped out in these monasteries. There have been times where Christians have formed their communes and they go and they live outside of the worldly System Is Jesus praying that we should do that? No, he did pray that they would remain in the world. Christians are not supposed to hide. Now, you may not be in a, in a commune or a monastery, but there are a lot of Christians who try to completely separate themselves from any worldly activity whatsoever. They think... Man, if I touch somebody in the world, I'm going to get spiritual cooties. (laughs) And I don't want to have any interaction. And so a lot of Christians will work very hard to Christianize their whole life. All their time is spent at church. Maybe they work for a Christian organization. The kids go to a Christian school. They do everything they can to, 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 to put their lives inside this Christian bubble. Hiding. Jesus did not pray for that. We're to engage. We're to live outside that bubble. We're to interact. God has put you in your job to shine there. God has put you in that school to shine there, to impact people. God has put us in El Paso, Texas at this time to shine. We're to make a difference right where we're at. Our staff recently had the blessing of being able to meet with Hillary Overton and her husband. They, uh, they formed this beautiful organization that we fund as a church. We help support Glory Reborn. It's located in Cebu. It's uh, in the Philippines. It's this way far away foreign land. They formed this organization about 25 years ago. And what they do is they help the women there deliver babies safely. Hillary, when she was a, a young woman, she would go on Uh, mission trips and she noticed that a lot of the mission organizations focused on the men on one trip she saw a bunch of women that would live on the dung hills out in the dumps and 
just left to themselves, many of them pregnant and having to give birth and terrible. And she thought, you know, if I ever become a missionary, I want to really focus in on the women. And so she, she actually got her degree and, and learned how to be a midwife and how to deliver babies. And her and her husband moved over for 25 years ago and began helping poor women give birth. Her husband's a brilliant IT guy. He's a techie. He handles all the technical issues in the office. By the way, he has a company that blesses people all over the world. And yet they've chosen to move to that place where they've been for 25 years. And up to this point, they have helped deliver 5,000 healthy babies. They've helped 4,000 women. They have multiple doctors Volunteers, technicians, labs, sonogram machines, connections with the government. And with every single woman, they share the gospel. There's a chapel service in their offices every single morning. They have, they have, they have touched thousands of lives. Using technical skills using education, using what God has blessed them with. Think about that. That's engaging the world. That's not hiding. That's looking be all around you and where's a particular need that I can, I can go in and fill that need for Jesus Christ. Do that. I've been blessed to be able to serve as a pastor for it's been 25 years now and I love to do it. I love to serve God this way. But before I was a pastor, I worked as an engineer for 10 years. And man, there are lots of benefits to serving God in that capacity. Man, you're just, I was in the engineering field. I wasn't a pastor. When people find out you're a pastor, all the walls come up. They think you're different. You know, I, I, I laugh. I, every now and then I'll play golf and I'm playing with a stranger and they're cussing, telling dirty jokes. And eventually, right at about hole nine, they'll say, so what do you do? (laughs) Oh, I'm a pastor. And then it's like, well, I go to church. (laughs) But when you're you're working, when you're working in the secular world as a born-again Christian, the walls aren't up. And people get to see a real Christian live life. In the day-to-day activity of life. That's a beautiful place to be. Don't hide. Shine. Let God use you. There's this other extreme, though, over the years. One extreme is for Christians to hide. The other extreme is, and many Christians do this, is they become just like the world. They get all caught up in this world. They live the worldly lives. They do what you can't even tell the difference between them and the world. What a sad thing for a Christian who has been gloriously born again, saved for all of eternity. 
to live just like the world. John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Abides forever. So Jesus knew that we'd be in that position in the world, but not of the world. And it's very hard to find that balance. Ask the Lord to help you find that balance in your life. Someone said a Christian is like a ship on the ocean. Having a ship on the ocean is a great thing. Having the ocean in the ship is a bad thing. And so, the problem isn't the Christian in the world, it's the world in the Christian. Make sure that you are living that otherworldly life. And don't hide it. Now, I want you to notice two very specific prayer requests that Jesus prayed for his disciples who will remain in the world. First, he prayed that they would be kept. And I love this. In verse 11, he says, Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep, keep through your name those whom you've given me. Verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Jesus said in John chapter, in verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them. Keep my people. Keep your people. That's his prayer. This is the Greek word tereo. It comes from the Greek word teros, which means a warden or a guard. He's saying, Father, guard your people. Keep watch of your people. Protect your people. This Greek word toreo can also be translated in the New Testament as treasure. I love that. Treasure. Jesus is praying, Father, these people that belong to me, these people that belong to you, they are treasures. Protect them, guard them. I love that. Do you know if you're a born-again Christian, you're one of God's treasures? You're one of his treasures. He saved you. He loves you. He treasures you. And he's going to guard you. You have his divine protection upon your life. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. If you are a true born again Christian here this morning, you are kept safe forever as one of God's treasures. Now that does not mean that you're never going to face difficult times in this world. That does not mean that you're never going to experience tragedy or persecution. 
or tough times. You will. You will. The disciples did. They did. Most all of them were martyred for their faith eventually. You realize that. Peter was crucified upside down. They endured persecution. They endured beatings. They endured loss of jobs. They endured prison. They endured all kinds of things. Now, you know by experience, many of you, that tough things happen to Christians. And you might even be thinking, well, where was the keeping? Where was the guarding? The emphasis here is on eternal security. You're kept for all of eternity. You may go through some hard times, but you know heaven is your destiny. And by the way, this time here on planet Earth, just a little blip on the radar compared to all of eternity. And God uses all of those difficult experiences in our lives here to make us more effective here. You're kept. God's hand of protection is upon you. Now, you may have noticed in verse 12 that Jesus speaks of Judas. He says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I've kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So he's talking about those 12 disciples, and he says, I kept them all except for one, Judas. Now, does that mean that Jesus was 11 for 12? Was Judas an, oops, my bad? No, Jesus was 11 for 11. Judas is not an example of a believer who lost his salvation. Judas is an example of an unbeliever who pretended to have salvation, but was in the end exposed as a fraud. But if you're a genuine believer, you have that hope. You are protected now and for all of eternity. Be encouraged by that. And then look at this other very important prayer request that Jesus prayed for. His disciples in the world, he prayed for their sanctification. Verse 17. Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And verse 19, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus prayed that his people, while in the world, would be sanctified. That's his prayer request. Sanctification. Now, sanctification is one of those words. It's a Christian word. It's a fancy word. It it can be hard to understand. Let me just give you the bare essence of what sanctification means. It means to be set apart. It means to be holy. It means to be consecrated. It means to become separate, called out, special. In the Old Testament, the priests uh, from the tribe of Levi, they were sanctified. They were holy. Only priests, only people from the tribe of Levi 
could serve in the tabernacle or the temple. They also had all these different garments that they would wear and furniture that would fill the temple and anointing oil that was used. All of that was sanctified. It was holy. It was set apart. You couldn't use it in your house. You couldn't use it in the marketplace. It was dedicated only in the temple. It's set apart. It's holy. It's sanctified. In our house, in our cupboard, we have a very special plate. It's a red plate. And it has white letters on it. And the white letters say, you're special today. And we only pull that red plate out on special occasions. Kim gets to eat off that plate on Mother's Day. I get to eat off that plate on Father's Day. (laughs) Everyone who has a birthday gets to eat on that red plate. You're special. That red plate is sanctified. It's different from all the other plates. It's holy. That's the meaning of sanctification. And Jesus is praying that his people would be sanctified. Sanctified. Separate. Now the Bible teaches that the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you become sanctified. You become holy. Don't miss that, my brother and sister in Christ. If you're born again, you're separate. You have been consecrated unto the Lord. You are his people. But we also know that in our lives here, as we live out, we still have to fight. We have our old natures, and we need to become more and more sanctified in a practical way. And the sanctification process is a process. It takes time. It's the process by which you, as you cooperate with the Lord, as you depend upon the Holy Spirit in your life, that you become more and more like Jesus. Day by day by day. And that's God's will for your life. Jesus prayed for it. That you would become more and more sanctified. And the more and more you become like Jesus the more you shine, the more people notice, and the more and more you get to share your faith with others. So Jesus prayed for the sanctification. And it's very important. In verse 17, he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. It is so important. In the sanctification process, this book is so... We are sanctified by this book. In the sense that you and I are to understand the word. We are to find out how we navigate life in the world through this book. And as we discover what God wants for us and apply it to our lives, we become more and more like Jesus. You won't be sanctified if you don't give attention to God's word. You won't be. You'll stay worldly. That's why it's so important, and we, and we say that a lot here. Make sure that you're studying the Bible for yourself. What a beautiful prayer from Jesus. My disciples, they're in the world. 
They have a mission to complete. Father, make them successful. They have challenges that they'll face. Give them strength. They have to navigate life in this balanced way. Lord, give them wisdom and discernment to do them. Lord, keep them. Lord, sanctify them. Did you know that Jesus is still praying that prayer today? He's praying it for you. The New Testament tells us very clearly that Jesus is our high priest sitting in the heavenlies at the right hand of the throne of God and that he's making intercession for us. Did you know John 17 has been called the high priestly prayer of Jesus? Jesus is praying these things for us. Let's honor him. Let's seek to follow him and change this world. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Lord, as your people gathered here this morning, we acknowledge that you have sent us into the world at this time, in this generation, at this point in history. Here we are. And you have a mission for us. You have a calling upon our lives. And you've told us up front that there will be challenges. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us, that we would represent you well. I pray, Lord, that you would give us discernment in life and help us to navigate life. Lord, for those who are hurting, for those who are suffering right now, I pray that they would be able to put that trust in you to remember that, Lord, you're keeping us, you're guarding us, not just, not just for now, but for all of eternity, and we're trusting you. Lord, as your people, I pray that we would not be those that hide our faith. I pray, Lord, that we would not become like this world. And I pray, Lord, that you would sanctify us. We'd cooperate with you in every step. Lord, I also want to pray for anyone here this morning who hasn't begun that journey with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never yet truly entered the family of God. You're not sure if you're part of what God's doing. Most important thing for you is to get right with God. And that means your sins have to be forgiven. You have to be sanctified. You have to be declared holy. Holy. 
And that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose again the third day. And the whole message of the gospel, the one that we're called to bring to the whole world, is that you can be forgiven. You can become born again. You can become brand new. Your whole life can be changed now and forever through faith in Christ Jesus. If you've not yet placed your faith in Christ Jesus for salvation, I'll lead you in a prayer right now, just in the quietness of your heart. Say, Lord, that's me. That's me. I need you. I need you. I personally now receive you as my Lord and Savior. I put my faith and my trust in you for salvation. Set me apart. Let me be one of your special people. Wash away all my sins. I open my heart wide for you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.